0: So guys, if you haven't met, so good to meet you. My name is Lucy. And um, I was actually the surprise child in my family. My sisters are like eight, nine years older than me, so it was a bit of a surprise when I came along, the best surprise that they've ever had, which is what I remind them of at least monthly, so that's a good thing after 30 years of being. Um, but both of my parents were a bit older when they had me, which sadly meant that I never got to meet my grandparents. I've heard lots of amazing things about them, but sadly I never got to meet them, and particularly found out loads about my mum's mum's side of the family so my grandma and granddad from my mum's side my granddad who had like a squishy bit in his head because he's got a piece of shrapnel stuck in it in the war, so it just left like a squishy bit then my grandma who was like the epitome of make do and mend and all of that era and sadly my granddad passed away whilst my grandma was in a coma and Or when she woke up from the coma, she, when my mum gave her the news, she said, don't worry, I already knew because I noticed that he'd stopped visiting me. And only three months later, my grandma also passed away. My mum said that she always knew as, long, as soon as one of them went, the other one would probably follow suit quite swiftly after that. And we often hear these stories of, elderly people who pass away shortly afterwards and I'm not a scientist so apologies if there is a scientific reason but I don't know of a scientific reason um, why this happens but sometimes we do get to hear these things the love that my grandparents shared was so much more than just a feeling, this emotion Surely, sure, they started off probably hoping one another would ask the other one to dance at the, I don't know, the ballroom, something like that. Like the equivalent of like sliding into the DMs, let's get in there, come on. Um, Then maybe they courted for a little while, but their relationship didn't just rely on those feelings. It developed. It withstood months of my granddad being away at war. It withstood redundancies, house moves, Sacrifices on both sides of the relationship and all of the other ups and downs that came with their 42 years of marriage. When my grandma passed away, it wasn't consciously because she wanted to, but it was because that life that she had was so intertwined with that of my granddad. Something that had started as a feeling had become deeper and richer. And our relationship with Jesus may also start out like this. A feeling and excitement but more importantly it can lead us to deep thoughts and deep feelings of faith which lead us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. I don't want my relationship with Jesus to just start at the year one relationship status of the excitement and the feelings but I want my relationship with Jesus to deepen each year as I understand what it is to be loved by Him, as I can get to grow and and develop in what it really means to start loving others really well as He would. The freedom and the beauty of this kind of relationship with Jesus is that it is never-ending and it is relentless. It is the one relationship we will never have to grieve, we will never have to lose because God promises an eternity with Him. And as John shared last week and as Johnny just mentioned, last week John was looking at Peter's denial of Jesus through the different numerous Greek words that they have for love. And I am not Greek and I'm totally gonna hash up quite a lot of the pronunciations, so I fully apologize for that. But they had numerous different descriptive words for what love is. You've got eros, the passionate love, the love of friends, and this one's definitely not in the Greek, but storge, something like that, um, which is the love that parents have for their children. And agape, finally, which we'll be looking at today. We're specifically going to look at agape love in the context of the Last Supper. In some Christian traditions, the Last Supper can be referred to as the agape meal. And agape is the kind of love that God shows toward us. Our relationship to God and others is through our understanding of agape. Agape love is unconcerned with self and concerned about the greater good of others. Agape isn't born just out of emotions, feelings, familiarity, attraction, but it's from will and it is from choice. Agape requires faithfulness. It requires commitment. It requires sacrifice without expectation of anything else in return. And this is the story of God's love. The love that is woven throughout history. If we can understand that kind of love, maybe we can begin to understand what that means for us, what that means for you, what that means for me, and what that means for those around us. And just a precursor to all of these things, I'm not an expert in any of these things. I know what I'm talking about, I know what agape is and what it means, but I'm still learning what that really means for me. I'm still learning what that means lived out. So don't think that I'm like the expert on any of these things, I'm definitely still learning. And in John's gospel and to some extent in the other ones too, Jesus talks about love more frequently the closer that he gets to actually giving up his life for each of us. In John 3.16, other than in John 3.16, all of Jesus' teachings on love are at the Last Supper. The closer that Jesus got to the end of his life and the ministry that he had, the more he focused his teaching on what he really wanted and needed his disciples to remember, giving his followers the best opportunity to grasp the importance and what his life was and was pointing toward if the, Jesus is basically saying if there's one thing I need you to remember you need to remember this thing because Jesus gave up his life not for himself but for others for each one of us and the cross is the greatest symbol we have of love the closer that we get to the cross the more that we understand love the closer I get to the cross the more I understand love. The closer you get to the cross, the more you will understand love. And before we start anywhere, anywhere, we have to begin with the one thing that we know about love. The one, thing, the one thing we know about God is that God is love. In 1 John 4 verse 8, it says that God is love. Out of all the descriptions throughout scripture we have of God, this is one of the clearest definitions we have. God is agape, God is this kind of love. He isn't a being who loves, he isn't someone who quite likes love, but in the middle of the relationship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit, God is love. It is in that relationship that we see humility, that we see self-sacrifice, that we see serving, that we see love put on display that we are invited to partake and even comprehend what that love is. Not just to observe it from the outskirts, but closer. And it is out of that love that we move closer to God. We move closer to what our true identity is, and we move closer to loving others. So how do we even do this? How do we go about it? But as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be spending some time looking at the section of the Last Supper in John's Gospel. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to them. It's also going to be on the screen as well. So John 15, verses 12 to 17. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life This is my command love each other. And that passage begins My command is this love each other as I have loved you. As I have loved you. And how has Jesus loved us? Well, he laid down all he had, his life for us. He sacrificed his life for you, for you to live in the promises he has for you, for you to know that he is always with you, for you to know the extent and the vastness of the agape love that he has for you, knowing you are loved. Prior to the passage in John 13, Jesus' disciples have seen this lived out as Jesus washed their feet. Their feet that would have been covered in muck and pretty grim and a job that would have been left for the servants to do. Jesus served each one of the disciples. He served them in loneliness of heart and in mind, seeking to build each one of them up in love and humility by washing their feet. And in the movies and in life, We often think about love being these big, grand gestures, a proposal, all of those things, a friend buying you dinner unannounced, you're given a huge surprise, a big bunch of roses at the desk. Maybe I've watched How to Leave a Go in 10 Days a little bit too much, but that's okay. But often we're told that this is what love is, these massive gestures from Matthew McConaughey. And that might happen to you daily. And that is amazing if that happens to you daily. Congrats, that is very exciting. But, that doesn't happen for me daily, surprisingly. Um, and if that does happen to you, awesome. give us your secrets later. But we can't rely on these massive, extravagant, grand gestures daily for us to feel loved. Knowing we're loved often comes in the menial Monday and Tuesday moments. It's the phone calls just to chat. It's the coffee made by a housemate even when you've been grumpy with them all the time. It's the time spent with loved ones watching a film Or it's just time spent with one another in silence, not needing to say anything. Being president, president, being present, not president, but hey, if you're president, well done. Um, Being president, president again? Oh my days, I really want to be president. Thanks so much. Being present, we nailed it. Being present and comfortable in the knowledge that you are loved. And we've got examples that I'm sure each of us can bring to mind of people in history who have radically loved people, of people who have often unconventionally, because they were close to and they were present to Jesus. One of those people I'm sure for some of us that springs to mind is Martin Luther King. And I recently learned that he required all of his volunteers before the Birmingham 1963 pledge to sign a commitment card. This card consisted of 10 commandments, and the first three read this. Number one, meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Number two, remember that the non-violent movement in Birmingham seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. And number three, walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Someone recently described loving without understanding God's love for us as trying to run a water station but only being given a bucket. Whereas if we can comprehend the vastness of God's love, we know how all of the cogs in that water station work. We know how we can access this never-ending well. And those that we can think of that have changed situations, have loved unconventionally and radically, knew the vastness of God's love and how to live from that. Looking back on the pledges that Martin Luther King required signing, there was such an emphasis and importance of taking up daily practice of courtesy, of love, of service, of meditation and prayer, offering to volunteers an opportunity to embrace the way of Jesus as a way of life. Living in this way and loving well requires spiritual practice John 15 verse 10 reads as the father has loved me so have I loved you now remain in my love remaining in his love requires spiritual practice spiritual practice is exercises that help keep the muscles of your life in tune The regularity and personal organisation of discipline helps strengthen the spiritual muscles and relationship. Similarly to the ways that you practice a loving relationship with a friend or a loving relationship with a partner, you have to practice your relationship with God and intentionally practice your relationship to keep nourishing it. And Bishop Michael Curry, who we might remember from the awesome Meghan and Harry's wedding, um, he gave the sermon there and he talks about spiritual practice of love and he remarks that in Silicon Valley, the places of the iPhone and all the other trendy things I don't know how to use, in that space they practice and test and try all of the different products thousands of times before they release them. Love isn't something that we have to wait in order to release, but something to be tested, something to be practiced, something to be done daily so that our body, our mind can learn to comprehend the extent in which we are loved to therefore love others. It is literally Jesus's mission statement to save the world through love. So as followers of of him, we can partake in practicing this love. We won't always get it right. Man, it's very embarrassing when it goes wrong. But we won't always get it right, and that's okay. But if we're working at loving well from a place of knowing we're loved, we are heading in the right direction. And Brennan Manning was a Christian writer and a Christian speaker who I've learned a lot about the Father's love through. I really highly recommend his book, Abba's Child. But when he was asked about the extent of God's love, he responded, For those who feel like their lives can be a disappointment to God, it requires enormous trust and reckless, raging confidence to accept that the love of Jesus Christ knows no shadow of alteration or change. That the love of Jesus Christ knows no shadow of alteration or change. When Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy burdened, he assumed that we would grow weary. He assumed that we would get discouraged and disheartened along the way. These words are a touching testament to the genuine humanness of Jesus. He had no romantic notion of the cost of discipleship. He knew that following Jesus was as unsentimental as duty and as demanding as love. To remain in something, as we saw in John 15 verse 9, often takes Duty, but love can be demanding. Accepting and giving love can be demanding. This doesn't negate the beauty of delighting in the fullness of life that God gives us, but it takes the you are loved and incorporates us into it. It invites us to walk in relationship with Jesus as he teaches us more about love. Duty doesn't always sound appealing, I'll be honest, But the health and the closeness that comes from practicing this leads us into a place of love. The closer we get to the cross, the more we understand love. So knowing you're loved, love each other as I have loved you. The spiritual practice of remaining in love and loving others. In John 15, 13, it says greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life ones, friends. And then we're going to skip to 17. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. It's the transformation of the spirit that helps us get to this. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus has already done everything and he is asking for our response in worship and how to glorify him to come in the shape of loving others. Through knowing we are loved, practicing it, getting to the place of loving others. Sounds pretty simple, right? Written on the page, I get it. And then we get to the famous passage that's often read at weddings from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. So though loving others might sound simple enough, I don't know about you, but I think that love sounds pretty hard because I am easily angered. I am very impatient. I can be envious. I can boast. I can be proud. I can dishonor others. I can be self seeking. I can definitely be easily angered. And so my tendency is to go toward that. My tendency is for that to be my starting position. But ultimately, God is saying that, that this person who is not envious, this person who is patient, is kind, is not self-seeking, that is the person of love. That is the place that you can love others from. That is his mission strategy, his purpose, his values, his goals. No greater idea has been given other than this. No other option for saving the world has been given than this. As a church, it is each of our responsibility individually to know that we are rooted in God's love to practice loving others fearlessly and relentlessly. And we get to be in a community of people who can do that daily. But we're also a community of people who can sometimes lean towards being impatient. Well, maybe it's just me and I'm looking at a room full of people who are like, oh, I've ticked all of those things up. I don't know what you're talking about. This call to be patient, to be kind, to not be self-seeking is impossible without the Holy Spirit. It is impossible to live a life like that without knowing the Holy Spirit, knowing who is working within us, knowing that the Holy Spirit who is love within us and makes the life of Jesus made known in each of us. We can't do that on our own. We can't do it simply just by striving or trying to love. We need to embody that love and know that that love is for each one of us. The only way that we can embody the love that we read in this passage is because you know that you are loved. Because you remain and you dwell in that love. That is the power with which we can therefore go and love others. Trying to do it solo will just lead us to weariness, to frustration. We're never really going to get there on our own merit being able to do that only with the Holy Spirit. That's how we do it.